Monday episode of the Just Baseball Show. Today is Monday, March 21st. Jack McMullen, Aram Layton. New digs. How about this? Yeah. You see the pad? Yeah. Mr. Indy. And now we can finally talk about, have you talked about this yet in a free, another episode? Like why you're an indie? Why you have new digs? No, no, no. I haven't made it squiggle sign personal news, squiggle sign right. Twitter official yet. Uh, no, I'm going to be, I'm going to be calling games with the Indianapolis Indians. It's going to be a blast. So uh, it's going to be, uh, you know, at least a couple of games a week and it's going to be good. Me and Andrew Kappas, who have been there for a while, are splitting it with the, uh, the Hall of Famer, Howard Kelman. So it's going to be good, man. Get to see a ton of Pirates prospect and get to see triple a ball so it's gonna be- i was gonna say for those who don't know this is triple a ball i mean i mean jack jack might be a quadruple a broadcaster we don't know yet but this is how we find out i'm the michael hermosillo of <laughs> sports broadcasting for sure yeah well we'll find out right like this is the final test i, yeah. I think you'll rise to the occasion i i tuned into uh your your ball state basketball call and yeah, i have it now just saved in perpetuity which is you just saying that's nylon. Perfect. And I'm just going to use that for anything in my life. That's going to be my new catchphrase, I think. Yeah. So, for all of you, for all you non-hoop heads out there, that's nylon is is more detailed um, description <laughs> of saying swish exclamation point. Yes, because you see what he was saying there is because the net is made of nylon. Uh-huh. It's, it's it's genius. Yeah. So so it found it and it went through it. How it about that? It. So, so it is one with the nylon. So um, you know, seriously, like, I'm not going to do the like re congratulations on Eric. We've already talked about this. So if people are like, Arm's kind of being a dick about Jack's new job. I've already, we've already had, I've known about this for too long. I've almost slept like four times on the podcast about it. Cause I've been so excited about it. I will be out there at some point. We will be doing a live episode out there from at some point. Um, yeah. So really excited about that. And I can't wait till uh, Nick Gonzalez and some of the other guys get up there and you get to see them firsthand. You're going to get to see a lot of talent. Um, and I mean, you definitely deserve this opportunity in AAA, and uh, it'll be pretty, pretty darn fun. Well, thanks, man. Who did I see hit the ball to the stratosphere uh, in spring training over the weekend? Andy Rodriguez. Yeah, <laughs> O'Neill Cruz. Well, <laughs> I Cruz that did, but I think Andy Rodriguez did too. Did Andy do? If he did, I missed it. But like, I would believe it because he's phenomenal. We were talking about that. Like, that's a guy that's going to be on our top 100 that probably nobody else uh, really has on the top 100. But did you see the ball O'Neill Cruz hit? Yeah, dude. Yes. <laughs> He's not real. He's not real. And I'm excited to talk about that team. Like the future is bright. The Marlins could take one of their players away. Not going to happen, but the Marlins signed an outfielder. That's one of the things we're going to talk about. And then what else, Jack? Well, we've got a lot of signings to go through. I, last week was phenomenal because it was just, okay, here's, here's the crazy news of the past 24 hours. Let's talk about it. And then we just had a weekend for the news to continue to drip in. We had some massive names come off the board, Correa, Trevor Story, Kenley Jansen. Uh, And then we've got some other rumors and some reported deals that were not signed over the last couple of years that I want to go through as well. Yeah, weird, uh, weird timing where it's just like this week was the week where we just say, oh, yeah, by the way, those deals, 
the, these deals never happened. They almost did a couple of years ago. It's weird to yeah. see two of those drop in the same in the same time. Uh, but I always love the classic like this almost happened two years ago. You can just sit with that now. I, I remember like the, when Yermin Mercedes was balling. Uh, uh, Craig Mish came out with a report. It was like the Marlins almost traded for Yermin Mercedes. Oh, good. <laughs> oh, great. Thanks for that report. I would have died happy not knowing that. You know, it's just like, I, and I still think they, they could have used him and could use him right now. Like, not after Solaire, but it's funny. Just sometimes I think one of the most accurate phrases in the history of the human race in the English language, but it probably could be translated a million ways, is ignorance is bliss. I'd rather just not know. Like, if, if the Marlins were almost getting Brian Reynolds, I don't want to know about it. Like, and I know, like, if, if it, if we find out that it was at the goal line, I don't want to know about it. Like, right. There's things like that. I just don't, I don't want to know. Right. Well, there are a couple of, uh, there are a couple of references that I point to when I hear that something almost happened. Uh, so your mean Mercedes was almost a Miami Marlin. Buck Weston in kicking and screaming uh, kicks Phil Weston, Will, Will Ferrell's ass in tetherball. And Will Ferrell says, I almost won that. And he says, oh yeah, what do you call that when you almost win? That's right. Losing. Losing. <laughs> um, the other one was my, my classic line, my freshman year of college, they were like, where would you have gone if not Syracuse? I said, well, I almost went to Stanford. I just didn't get in. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that. That's like a, that's like a dad joke. Right. So it, that to me, that's the dad joke of baseball. This almost happened. Okay. Yeah. So it didn't. Somebody said didn't no. Happen. Yeah. You know, it almost happened, but it didn't. So like, like and the other example is right. Matt Chapman turns down. What was, what was the offer? 10 years, $150 million from Oakland, according to Ken Rosenthal. Pretty shitty offer, honestly. <laughs> when you think, think about so. it, like 10 years is a lot of years, but you got to think about it like 15 mil a year. It's just hey, look at what guys are getting right now in, ter- in terms of average annual value. Even in 2019, they were getting that. And remember, you might say, oh, that makes sense for Chapman now. This was before Chapman took that step back, right? So this was right after the 2019 season. This was after the 2019 season with all three arbitration years still there. Yeah, it's not happening. It's not happening. And and that was the numbers, by the way, on that year. So it was the second consecutive year with an F4 over six. And that season was his best year of his career. 249, 342, 506 slash line, 36 jacks and platinum glove defensive third. Like, yeah, you're not taking 15 year, million a year. You're, you're no. not taking that. God, no. I, mean, I don't blame the, I don't blame the A's for trying. It's not the worst offer in the world. But now, what do you think? If, if he could do it over again, you think he's taking that offer? Given Hell what no. happened, Hell I don't think no. so. Still, I still don't think so. No, it, it, trade rumors did the math. I want to say it was like six years, 122 for, for that to look like a good decision mm-hmm. um, for him declining the offer. And even with the bad year, even with the injury riddled 2021, like this guy, he just hit a tank for the Blue Jays in spring training. I mean, he yeah, ripped exactly. a pull side homer. He's, he's going to be fine. I think, you know, like he's even if he's punching out, and I still think he's going to be fine. Like we talked about the punch outs with him. I mean, he only struck out 22% of the time in that big year in 2019, 24% of the time in 2018. Like that's not that egregious uh, given the power that you're going to get and everything else for a guy that gets a lot of knocks for his lack of bat to ball. I, I really think that he's going to iron that out. I, I'm still a believer that that hip really hampered him. And now he's going from a lineup where he was other than Olsen. I mean, that was like, he was one of the guys in that lineup. Now he could bat seventh and no one will bat nine. And that's what really stands out to me is he can literally be in the seven hole hitting tanks and, and he's fine. Isn't that what's so exciting about this Jays lineup too? Like you've got Matt Chapman in the seven hole. Yeah. 
Presumably. And they also now fix what was probably their biggest need, right? Defense on the left side. So, you know, that's going to help them a lot too. I, I, I don't blame him for, for turning that down. And even now, I, I think now going into a better environment, if he puts up a couple of good years or even a good year, the Jays might want to extend him. Yeah. It's not like they have a litany of third base prospects. It's only Jordan Groshans who can't hit for power. So I, I think I think they might be looking at the long game here too and might try to extend him for, for value like they did with Barrios. Think about the Jays. Yeah, think about Ross Atkins. If he extends Barrios and Chapman within a year, I'm calling him a genius and I haven't yeah, seen no, it play out. He, exactly. Yeah, I, I, like that would have to go so badly for me to say that he's not, he didn't make a good move because I love Barrios at worst, if Barrios doesn't improve, if he plateaus, it's a good deal. He's a it's two. A good deal. He's a two and or the best three in baseball, right? Like he, if he plateaus, it's still good value. And on, on the Chapman side, I'm, that's a guy that it's really hard for me to flesh out what a deal looks like though, because the the glove is phenomenal. The bat, you're going to have to prove it at least a little bit for someone to give I'm sitting here saying, I think he can play, but I don't have to be on the hook for seven years, 200 million. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't need to be on the hook for nine figures or whatever, however many figures it is that is not the case with the Blue Jays. So I can understand them wanting to be a bit tentative, but this year, if he comes back and, and let's say Jack, he, he finishes the year with what he did in 2018, which is 278, 356, 508 with 25 jacks, 24 jacks. He's what he'd had then. You're, you're sold, right? At that point, you're like, he's back. I don't need to see anything more. If he's doing that by the all-star break, I'm signing him before the trade yeah, deadline. I agree. I'm sold. I'm like, he, to me, he's already proven enough. Yeah. It, if he can prove that just... he can get back there, I think he's staying. It was the down year of all down years in 2021 where you couldn't hit anything, but obviously you lose even more bat to ball when you get under yourself and you have a hip out of the equation. Yeah, it's a hit. lot like Yelich. Yelich still a 3.4 F4. Yeah, totally. Yelich and DJ. DJ LeMay, you had a hip issue. Yep. I don't, I don't think you talk to hitters how important that part of their body is. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm betting on a bounce back. And even in a shitty year, 3.4 F4, like, come on. Yeah, another rumored deal, according to SNY's Andy Martino, apparently the Mets, prior to the 2021 season, offered Michael Conforto an $100 million extension. That one, that one, look, I know Conforto took a step back last year. I, I just assume that, and I think Conforto's going to be fine too. I still find it surprising that, that he turned that one down because, I mean, he was never on that superstar level. Uh he never really had one part of his game that jumped off the tree. He's just a good hitter. That's really what it was. I, I was, that's one that I could think was actually a fair offer for the most part. I don't know about you. I think it's a fair offer. Uh, my question now, because he is the last star player remaining on the free agent market star. star yeah. Quotes star. What does a contract for him look like now? I think it's going to be short-term with opt-outs. I think we're seeing a new wave in baseball. Like, and I know we're going to talk about that when we get to the Correa deal. I mean, Soler with the opt-outs too. Conforto's a, a Boris guy. I think Boris, you know, wants Conforto to be in a position and obviously himself at 29 years old. And he just turned 29, 19 days ago. So if he signs a three-year deal with two opt-outs, he could opt out at age 30 going on 31 or age 31 going on 32 and sign a five-year, nine-figure deal. So he can go high annual value like Correa. Um, he's a little bit older. But if he opts out in, in one or two years, at 31 years old, you can still get yourself a nice five-year, six-year deal. Yeah. Uh, and I think Conforto's game will age well. Like, I, I think he's still going to be a, a smooth hitter for a long time. And you can hope for a Michael Brantley type of like 
aging for him. I don't think he'll be as good of a hitter, but still. Yeah. I, I think that that's what it's going to look like. I think it's three years, 60 or like 55 with the two opt-outs. I think that's what we would probably see. Well, I, I think there's mutual interest there. I think on Conforto and Boris's side, there's interest there because um, if you feel like you can perform better than you can in 2021, you just hit a contract year whenever you want. Yeah. Um, on the team side, you're not on the hook if he doesn't get back to what he once was. Yeah, well, it, that's the problem, though, is with these opt-outs, like with Correa and with Solaire, those guys both, it's just players, player opt-outs, not mutual. So yeah. if they stink, and that's that's when we get into the Solaire deal, that's some problem I have with, with the Marlins. Right, deal. that's not going to be a Correa problem. No, it's not going to be a Correa problem. It could theoretically be a Conforto problem, but I'd be willing to take that chance because I think it's almost – very it's very unlikely that Conforto is going to be terrible right if you're on the hook for Conforto for 15 to 18 even 20 million dollars a year and he's giving you something similar to what he gave you last year you're pissed but it's not devastating your team I don't think like he's still giving you decent production so hold your thoughts on Solaire because I want to talk about that at the end because I think that's going to take up a lot because we have ensuing moves to come for Miami that we think could happen and should happen um, Conforto, just to wrap on him, would the Stroman deal make sense for him? Three for 71 with a player yeah. opt-out after the second year. I think slightly less, but yes, like that's what I see. Um, Cause it's either going to be a team that surprises us like the Rockies that is willing to fork up the cash, or it's going to be a team that, you know, is not in a position to just absolutely break the bank, but wants to bring them in and they want to give him an opportunity to opt out of that deal because they're not willing to give him seven years. You know, I like, I don't think the Red Sox are giving him five, six years. I don't think anybody's giving him five or six years. So it's either going to be that opt out for his reason of I'm doing too well for this contract or the opt out from the perspective of the Rockies still suck. I'm out of here. If I was Rick Hahn, I would go to Michael Conforto right now. And I'd say, we'll give you four years, 75 with mutual options after years two and three. So do you think the teams, the, but do the mutual options kind of undermine the whole thing, don't they? If you're trying to give the player the leverage. Because if okay. the player, well, I, I guess no. I guess I take that back because it, let's say Conforto has a career year next year. He could, he could opt out. Yeah, so I think mutual still, still achieves what you want, want to achieve. It might. So how about if we readjust? If I say four years, 70 with player options after two and three. I honestly think that's almost, yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's totally fair. I think that's what we would see. I think we'd see something like that. And I think that'd be good for the White Sox too. Because if he's the definition of like what you would expect, then he plays the contract out. Probably the least likely scenario. You got to think about it like a Venn diagram, right? It's more likely that he's going to end up worse than the contract or better than the contract. The odds that he becomes exactly market value on the contract are the middle part of that Venn diagram. I think it's possible because that's kind of what his production looks like. Yeah. But he's he's protected on both sides because if he outperforms it, he can opt out and hit free agency again. If he stinks, you know, he's not opting out. Like he's going to, he's going to opt into that 15 million a year. And, and it feels and he weird, has that but safety. it's only 15 a year. Yeah. So it gives him that safety. I think that's what you got to do. You, yeah. That's a risk you have to take if you don't want to give him the six plus years that he wants. Yeah. I still think he's an awesome fit on the White Sox. Uh, I would like the shorter side. I would like if they could get three years done with Conforto with player options after each of the first two, um, much like Correa, much like Jorge Soler, who we're about to get into. I think that's perfect because I think Vaughn needs to spend some time in Charlotte. Um, but when he comes back up, he's going to be good. 
Uh, and I don't think you can bank on Gavin Sheets being a corner outfielder for the Chicago White yeah, Sox. You know, he looked good. He did. But yeah, you know, I think if you're set, you're, you're talking about the White Sox are trying to win the World Series. Anything, if the White Sox don't win the World Series, at least in my opinion, it's not a successful season. Like that's what they're built for right now. Yeah. So with, with that being known, I, I don't think you can just expect to get something from Gavin Sheets. You got to, you got to be gearing up like these other teams in the AL are. Right. So why don't you go sign Conforto, have Sheets play first when Abreu needs a breather or when you want him to DH, have Sheets as a DH and have Vaughn as a DH ready to go is like, you know, jetting back and forth between Charlotte and Chicago. I think if they move Kimbrell, yes. You know, I think that that's the, it's the, it's going to be a money swap there, right? Because it's going to be almost the same amount of money per year. I mean, if they move Kimbrell, then I think it makes a lot of sense. I still, my favorite, I, I don't know what the latest I don't really keep up with the like specific rumor follow-up because to me, it's a lot of fluff. I mean, how many yeah. times did, and John Heyman does a phenomenal job, but how many times did John Heyman tweet about Freddie Freeman rumors? It was just the same thing reshuffled like yeah. over. And I get it. He's just trying to, you know, you're trying to maximize engagement and you're trying to do your job. And you know, when you feel like you don't have any leads for trying to week, put up numbies. <laughs> yeah. You're trying to put up numbies. And at the end of the day, when you don't have an update for weeks, you want to try and give people something. So I get it. I'm not like faulting Heyman, but it got to the point where I was just like, okay, I, I don't care how many times you could reshuffle the interest thing, but yeah. I love Michael Conforto to the Jays. I still think we know how bad the Jays want that left-handed bat. I think they can move Grichuk. Like Grichuk's not good. <laughs> he's not very good. He's, he's not bad. And he's, he's athletic and play all three outfield spots. Contract is not the most desirable. They could eat some of it and they could trade him. They want a left-handed bat. I've talked about that on the podcast a lot. I think it's very clear how bad they want a left-handed bat. They were in on Freeman. Conforto's much cheaper. I think he's a, he's a perfect fit. I like it. Who do you have to shed, though, if you go get him? Anybody? Grichuk. But, it, like, where is Lourdes Goriel? Uh, yeah, I, I think they I think they move one of those guys. I, I think Gabriel it would be or Teoscar. Teoscar can get you a massive haul. If I Teoscar, was I could get you a massive haul. I, I, I think they hold on to Teoscar. You move Lord Escuriel. I mean that I think that's I think, I think that's the guy you move. Swap. Yeah, I, I'm fine with that. But I think if you move Grichuk, was isn't that doesn't that work? Am I missing something? Right Who's now it would DH? be uh, right now the DH would be Tay Oscar, theoretically, right? Because this is what the lineup would look like right now, I believe. George Springer in center, who, by the way, was hurt all of last year. So it's like, if you have an extra outfielder, you can make it work. George Springer in center, Boba Shed at short, Vlad Guerrero Jr. at first, Tay Oscar at DH is what Fangraphs has. Lourdes Gurriel in left, Chapman at third, Grichuk in right, Kevin Biggio at second, and Kirk slash Jansen at catcher. I look at it and I say, you know, you move Grichuk, and now you have the left-handed bat with uh, with your boy Conforto. If that happens, it's the best offense in baseball, and it's not close. Especially because Kirk and Jansen could both finish really, really well offensively. And if they stink, you have Gabriel Moreno waiting in the wings, who I think is he's a 70-hit tool guy for us. Yeah, that is one of the most exciting offenses in baseball. And guess who they have as a non-roster invitee who's just could be posting up as a left-handed bat off the bench? Jose Bautista. No, uh, he's right-handed. Who? Greg Bird. <laughs> he might and be how, fine. You know what? Greg Bird might suck. But you know, if there's one he thing probably, that Greg He will probably suck. But can't you already see the Greg Bird five home run three-game series in New York? Yes. This is the Greg Bird <laughs> when series. Vladdy, when Vladdy tweaks an ankle and or like has a sore oblique and they get, he has like a week off, you know, seven-day IL. 
and they throw in uh, Greg Bird and he hits five home runs and Yankees fans lose their collective minds. Well, it's like uh, Lynn Sanity. It's it's Birdzerk. You're like Bird-Zerk. a minor league performing act. Let's trademark that now because I'm predicting the future. I already saw this vision. It's already taken by this weird like performing act in minor league ball where everybody dresses up as like birds. Um, yeah. So I'm yeah. thinking Birdiculous. <laughs> Is that good? We're, there's going to be some brutal headlines in the, hey, in the news. Where's, uh, where's Chris Carter? Chris Carter, I, he's got to be in like Korea. God, you know he could provide some thump. He he thumps. That's he for thumps. sure. Um, let's talk about the biggest deal. I mean, everybody was talking about Korea since August, right? What was he going to do? How much money is he going to sign for? Is he going to sign for more than Seager? I like this deal more than the Seager deal for both sides. Three years, $105 million. That is $35.1 million annually with opt-outs after each year for Carlos Correa. That's the second most money on an average annual value basis ever given to a position player only behind Mike Trout. And 100000 more than your boy, Anthony Rendon. I love it. Um, also, real quick on Chris Carter, a little Chris Carter update. Uh, playing in the Mexican League and Last in 2019 in the Mexican league, 293, 449, 709 slash line with 49 bombs. And let's go guys just just went to Mexico to hit nukes. He posts up on the beach. I bet he's in horrible shape. Like I bet he's just chilling on the beach, drinking pina coladas, hitting bombs. He still punched out 115 times in 546 plate appearances. Cheers. Triple A Mexican League, I think. it. I don't know, know what triple A means, but um, yeah, I just wanted to give that that little filler. Sorry for that digression there, but I do love the Korea move. On the, on the last episode, I think, or two episodes ago, I was talking about Trevor Story and how he makes sense. The only reason I said Story is because I didn't think they would actually pay <laughs> for Carlos Correa. And also Story to the Red Sox, we got to talk about. I, I had no idea that this was going to happen when we talked about the short-term deal potentially and, and why that would make sense for both parties, for his agent and Boris, and also for uh, Correa in some ways, because the market didn't materialize the way some would have hoped because, you know, you got Seager get snatched up and then shortstop's probably one of the most plentiful positions right now in baseball with a lot of young players and teams need another year to kind of see what they're, what they're dealing with, with some of these guys. The timing wasn't perfect for two, $300 million guys in the same uh, free agent market. I think that's why Seager was so quick to sign and, you know, I think we saw it. So Correa is just going to get the highest average annual value almost ever besides Trout. And then he could opt out and do it again next year or in two years. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. And Scott Boris got the benefit. We were talking about it at the end of last week, right? Uh, if Correa signed a multi-year deal this year, the overwhelming majority of the agent cut would go to his previous representatives. It would not go to Scott Boris. So now if Correa balls out again, which I think we both assume he will if he's healthy, Uh, Then he opts out. He goes and gets his 12-year deal worth more than $300 million, and Boris gets the entirety of the agent cut. So you know what? Shout out Scott Boris for manufacturing this deal. Always knows how to get his bag. Shout out Carlos Correa for knowing his value, too. Yep. Yep. And and betting, it's it's a great way to bet on yourself while still ensuring, God forbid anything happens, it's $105 guaranteed. You know, and and that's... You are now you're the, the Correa family should be set for generations now. That's okay. But if you're looking on maximizing money, 
it's the best move too. So you give yourself the upside and the safety and, and it's a no brainer. I, I love it from the twins perspective, because if he balls the hell out, then you know what? It, you got him for a year and that was freaking awesome. And you sold a lot of tickets and uh, you probably had a, a very good season. Maybe he wants to stay. Maybe you can work something out. If he is, there's no scenario where he stinks. Um, and even if he's, not his best. He's playing platinum glove defense at short. He's still a good hitter. Even on a down year, he's going to be a good hitter. Yeah. Uh, it's it's really a win-win. Uh, I, I love it for all for all aspects, and I love that a team like the Twins is going for it. I don't think they're done. I think we're going to see them go get an arm. We talk about Montes, some other guys that they could trade for too. But I just love to see teams like that galvanizing their fan base. I think it's really exciting. Absolutely. Learning about my apartment bit by bit. I've got the sun shining right into the camera here. So uh, live and learn. We're going to have to suck it up for the next about half hour. Um, and then I'll be better tomorrow. I promise. Yeah, we, we so- improve. We learn. <laughs> we just study the, the solar schedule yeah. and figure it out. Yeah, the sundial. I got I to gotta break out the sundial again. I, I do want to point to the health because Correa was healthy for a full season, a full 162 for the first time since 2016 when he was 21 years old last year. That's a big deal. So you can obviously see that when Correa is entirely healthy, he's one of the best players in baseball. Correct. Is he going to be healthy is the big question. I hope so. I don't know. Like, here's the thing. He played 50 to 60 games in 2020. So technically he's gone two full seasons without having to deal with injury. So if the health concerns are behind him, that's massive for him. He won his first gold glove this year. He won a platinum glove this year and he led all players in defensive run saves in defensive runs saved last year. So this guy, like he's not just really, really good at defense. Like he is the best defender on the planet when on he and Chapman. Yeah. I I really, it's him, Chapman, Arenado. I mean, like who those guys are in their own, their own section now. And really all it was for Correa was just being healthy. It really was. I think he was out there even when we were seeing him on the field, really not at a hundred percent. And I think you really see that make its way onto the defensive side of things. His arm is probably the best infield arm we've ever seen. I don't know if we've ever seen a better infield arm or at least in the modern era. Um, and I doubt anybody in the sixties was ripping it like that. I know Brooks Robinson could sling it a little bit, but I, I mean, this guy has a ridiculous rocket triple digits across the infield. He's, he's going to be phenomenal for them. And I mean, if Gio Urshela is playing third, that's again one of the best defensive infields on in baseball on the left Jorge side. Hey, Polanco at second too. He's yeah. pretty solid at second. Yeah, he wasn't good at short. He's good at second. You know, so like that. That's that's a really fun team. I'm I'm very in on that team, and I love the moves that they've made overall. And and you forget they extended Buxton before the lockout. I'm best looking at this in baseball when healthy too. Oh my god, top five player in baseball when healthy. Yeah, I'm looking at this depth chart right now. And I'm super fucking excited for it. Oh, that's they're going to be one of the trendy, fun teams to watch. Is pitching, but like, I was a year early. I was a year early saying that they were going to win the World Series, right? I said they were going to win it in 2021. Kenta Maeda was brutal. By the way, it looks like Kenta Maeda is on the 60 day IL now. Yeah, um, come back Tommy, from Tommy John? John. Yeah, from last year. Okay, um, that shows you where back I'm at. Late, late in the season, hopefully. Also, what if they just didn't trade Barrios? <laughs> Yeah, but I like the return they got. I do, but like it doesn't help them anytime immediately soon. And they don't really need Austin Martin. You're right, but it, you know we could we could play the what if game. 
all day. That's long. not even, but to me, it's like if they were planning on doing this, there's not much what if. It's like, well, why'd you do? Why'd you take a half a step back to take? When do you think? When do you think they decided to do this though? Yeah, that's true. I, I guess they could have. I think when they, they trade, I think when they got the return that they got, maybe. I and when they saw the performance of, of a lot of their prospects and. Uh, maybe surveyed the market a little bit and said, Hey, we can probably strike here. Like, I don't think they went into this off season thinking we have a shot at Carlos Correa. No, so I, no, I think no, that's, no. and I think when they realized that they have a shot at Carlos Correa, they realized, Hey, you know, maybe we should start wheeling and dealing a little bit and, and made some moves around it. Cause it was like very, very quiet, 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 boom, flurry of moves. So, you know, I think they, once that became a possibility, it seemed like they started to try to piece it together. And I think when they realized they only had to give up chase petty, for Sonny Gray, they like yeah. sat up in their seats a little bit. They were like, okay, yeah. let's go for two years. Like we got, we got him for two years now, our ace pretty much for now. <laughs> yeah. Let's get moving. So I, I'm looking at the depth chart right now on fan graphs for the twins. Gary Sanchez is the catcher who, when he's right, can hit bombs. He's not going to give you good defense, but you know what? He hits bombs and you don't need much from him. Miguel Sano at first, much like Gary Sanchez. That's, that's the problem right there. That's the one problem I have personally is, is Miguel Sano at first. Yeah, Jorge Polanco at second, Carlos Correa at short, Gio Urshela at third. Outfield left to right at the moment is Alex Kirilov, Byron Buxton, uh, and Max Kepler with Luis Arise as the DH. And then you got Jeffers, Jose Miranda, Nick Gordon, and Brent Rooker on the bench. So what do you think about this? Because we were talking about like, oh, who would you trade, Arias or or uh, Jose Miranda? Miranda. What if you just put Miranda up first? Yeah. Miranda made 26 starts between double A AA and triple A, made 28 appearances at first base last year. So, I mean, there's, I'm not saying he's a gold glover, but he's played the hot corner. I think he can figure out first. He's six foot two, he's tall enough for the position. In the meantime, I, I don't want him playing first long term, but I, I think right now, you're trying to do something now because you don't even know if Correa is going to be here next year. I would put, I would put Miranda at first base. Arias is, is a spark plug for them. He is so good offensively. He can't play first. I, I kind of like that scenario. The other backup situation here is because I'm just looking for opportunities to displace Sano. I just don't think he believe the, getting Gary Sanchez makes Sano expendable to me. As yeah, you talked absolutely. About, as you alluded They're the same to. player. They're, as you alluded to, they're the same player. And one is at a position where it's much more valuable to be that kind of player, right? Because yeah. at first base, you, the, the good hitters are a dime a dozen. You could also move Kirilov, where he's actually better, to first base if Trevor Larnick is swinging it. So that's a big if, too. Can Trevor Larnick get it going? If Larnick gets it going, then that's another opportunity, too. I think you have him in the corner outfield, then Kirilov moves to first. What do you do with Miranda? Uh, that's what you'd have to figure out. He'd probably be trade bait at that point um, if you still have him for for a pitcher. Uh, but I, I would prefer, I think, the more likely scenario because Miranda, I think, is a better prospect than Larnick is to have Miranda play first. Uh, they they tried it last year. Uh, they, he was there for a reason. They also had him play a little bit of left too, I, I must yeah. say. Not much, but a little bit. We were playing a hypothetical game via text a couple of nights ago, and, and you said trade two of them. And you listed Luis Arias and Jose Miranda. And then you listed Max Kepler and Trevor Larnick. Yeah. And my answer was Arias and Larnick. Yeah. I really like Miranda. I think that Miranda, what he can provide for this offense, honestly, immediately. I don't want to say is more than Arias, but it's more exciting than Arias. And obviously you have a lot more control. I think it's going to be way more than Arias too, because I mean, you're looking at it like, 
What I do like, though, is Arias provides important balance in a lineup that could be very susceptible to swing and miss. I know Correa has really improved in that regard, so that's going to be a big help. But you look top to bottom, there's a lot of swing and miss in there. And Arias is your throwback bat-to-ball guy. But at the end of the day, he's a guy that barely pushes 400s in the slugging department. He's a terrible defender. And Miranda's going to give you better defense. Miranda can hit for a high average too. Like, let's not be mistaken here. This guy, I think it'll, he'll be less of an average guy in, in the big league. He's not hitting but he can hit 290. He can hit 290. He's capable of it. And, and his ceiling is 290 with 30 jacks. Like his yeah. ceiling is perennial all-star. I, I just, here's the thing. When we talk about it, you're trying to win now. Let's say you move a rise and Miranda doesn't make the adjustment to the big leagues. Like we've seen that happen with guys that have had years like Miranda did. Now you're kicking yourself. What do you do? You're praying now Austin Martin comes up and can, can, can contribute. I think that could be enough to, to give me confidence, though, to make the move because Austin Martin is another high-floor guy. If you have both of your high-floor guys with, then, you know, I think you just tip your cap and say, shit, <laughs> it just didn't work out. But I, I think here's my problem. You're trading with the A's. They don't want Arias. They want Miranda. Mm-hmm. That's why I think they should trade Larnick over Kepler. I think Larnick is a more enticing piece than Kepler at this juncture. Oh, for sure. And if you're trying to win right now, I actually like Kepler more. I do too. I do too. Because Kepler, at the very least, we talked about this over text. At the very least, you know what you're getting. You're getting 20 plus homers, uh, crushing righties, good defense, and a little bit of speed. And, and I mean, like this is a guy that put up a 4.5 F4 season. He was at two last year, even not being very good, finished strong. I, I really like him still as a piece. You can platoon protect him a little bit. Brent Rooker is a guy that you can spot start there and, and protect him from some lefties. Who's uh, fine. Who's fine. He's great splits guy. Um, is he? Yeah. Yeah. Great split. He might be a reverse splits guy, which would totally undermine the entire point I'm trying to make. <laughs> but the point is you can go find a platoon option, you know, to, to help you out in that regard uh, and be just fine. But no, he hit lefties a little bit better last year. Uh, that's probably my, my approach to it. But I, I think they've got enough pieces here to potentially make a move and, and I really like that. I think they are in a very advantageous spot, uh, which is you got to be excited. I mean, if you're a Twins fan right now, you can't be anything but excited. Yeah, and and for the love of God, please get more pitching. You've got Sonny Gray, Dylan Bundy, Bailey Ober, Joe Ryan, Randy Dobnak. The only guys I want pitching moving forward there are Gray and Ryan, maybe Ober, but Bundy and Dobnak, I mean, no, miss me with it entirely. Yeah, Ober's a fine back end guy. The, yeah, they need to get Bundy, Dobnak out of there. I mean, that's those guys are not going to – that's going to be a 40% of your rotation is going to be a liability. That can't happen. And you can get a three in Major League Baseball for Arise and Larnick. Yes. Yeah. If that doesn't make it – and also, like, you can put together a better package. You can put, If you need to give up more to get Montes – they have enough prospects that they could part with that wouldn't kill their system and they'd still be in a good spot. They could flip Simeon Woods Richardson if they needed to, like yeah. they could flip some of these other pitching prospects that are a little bit further away. Uh, I, I think that would be the easy move for them. Yeah. Let's talk about the Red Sox signing Trevor story, six years, $140 million. Trevor story has opt outs for the final two years or the Red Sox can turn those into guaranteed years by adding another year at $20 million. So it could escalate to seven years for 160, but he signs an identical deal to Javier Baez. Six years, $140 million. Um, I think last week on the pod, I said that Baez should make more than Story. I think Peter said Story should make more than Baez. 
And I think you said they should be very similar. I remember you guys brought it up. You guys brought it up. And I was like, dude, that's impossible. I have no idea. Like if you, I would flip a coin and be fine with either. Like I have no strong opinion either way. If I had to pick one though, like if I really, if I'm the GM, the safer move for me is to just go get story. And my, and that might sound weird, but for the, it's one of those things to me. I'm not worried about, I'm not worried about the cores field situation as much. I think a lot of guys shake that off once they go elsewhere. It's not just, Oh, he only can hit like Trevor Story's power translates. I don't think anybody needs to know whether Trevor story, Trevor story has more raw power than Nolan Arenado. Like that's a home run derby contestant. Like that's who story is. And he was hitting it as far as anybody. Like he has more raw power than Nolan Arenado. No one or not is probably a better hitter, right? But like, I'm just talking about like what translates whole B just fine. What people don't realize with cores that I always try to emphasize is that the pitches move so differently, right? When, when you have pitchers go to cores, pitches that move horizontally are not as impacted as pitches that move vertically. So you have a specific approach as a hitter, seeing baseballs do certain things movement wise. And then when you're on the road, baseballs are doing totally different things than they do at your home park. That's almost a different sport. It's stupid that it even it really happens. That's another reason why splits are so dramatic. It's not just, oh, he just benefits from the altitude. And I always try to clarify that. He might be a guy that benefits from the altitude, but I'm willing to give Trevor Story the benefit of the doubt because he has some of the most ridiculous raw power that we've seen out of any player that has started at cores and left, right? Like we haven't seen that many guys with that kind of power start at cores and go elsewhere. It's just, there's not really many other reference points. And that's why I'm not too worried about him. I think it's a great deal for the Sox. And not to mention, dude, Fenway Park is arguably the, besides scores, the best park to hit in, in baseball. So I think he'll be okay. Yeah. I mean, Cincinnati up there too, but I'd say those three, uh, and then wherever Toronto was playing last year, but they're kind of done with that thing now. Dunedin and and Buffalo. (laughs) Yeah. Dunedin and Buffalo. Um, Okay. So you said it's a great deal. I don't really like it. Okay. And you just kind of debunked the whole core splits thing, but I'm going to tell you why it matters to me. And that's just because it's so drastic. If it was, yes, obviously a big drop-off, I'd be more willing to part with it, but it's massive and it's impossible to ignore. And it dropped his numbers to not what Tulo was doing, not what Arenado was doing, right? I think those guys were more talented during their primes in Colorado than story ever was. And I just want to run you through 2021 here. 71 home games in 2021. 296 with an 880 OPS, drove in 47, and he punched out 62 times. Keep that number in mind because that has to do with pitch movement. 71 road games in 2021. So same number of games on the road. Hit 203 with a 718 OPS. So that's nearly an 160-point drop in OPS. His run production numbers dropped drastically. Same number of games, 19 fewer RBIs on the road, and then 77 punch-outs. That's 15 more punch-outs in the same number of games. Yeah. No, I mean... Those are hard to ignore for me. Yeah, I I get it. I I totally understand. I think those are all really good points, and... And important numbers. I really do. I just, there's, and again, like you can break it down that way and I'm with you. Like there's definitely a lot of validity to that. I just, for some reason, I wish I could quantify it more. Like I'll have to dig into the numbers and try and find a way to, to describe it. But 
I just, I just think he's going to be all right, but yeah. there is, there is a level of concern and, and this is to corroborate what, what you're saying. Breaking balls have been an issue for him in the past. Right. And um, vertical breaking balls are going to be thrown a lot more outside of course, as we know. And I, I think that's what really got him this past year was on the road. Breaking balls were an issue and he was just whiffing through a lot of breaking balls. Trevor story is always crushed fastballs. He's always crushed fastballs. He's always crushed changeups, but I think he got even more breaking balls, especially on the road. And that really did him in. And that's going to be something that he has to figure out or else he's going to be in trouble. I'm just, I'm in the belief that he can figure out how to hit those breaking balls. Now that he will consistently see the same kind of break on those pitches. But honestly, dude, if he doesn't and, and your thoughts, you know, are, are accurate. I wouldn't be surprised at all. Like I, I'm definitely cautiously optimistic. That's for sure. Yeah, let, let's go through an exercise here because I want to talk about handedness too. Because on his career, he hammers left-handed pitching. OPS over a thousand against lefties. Uh, that drops to eight oh nine against. You know righties. why, right? Why? What are lefties throwing him? Yeah, sliders, breaking balls. Oh. Well, you said he's better against lefties. Oh, he's worse? better against lefties. That's yeah, fastballs, changeups on the lefties are giving him fastballs, changeups. Righties are giving him breaking balls. Yeah. Good call. It's really, it really comes down to the breaking balls. That didn't compute for a moment. Thanks for thanks for leading me to water and letting me drink. Of course. It was awesome. Um, but let's walk through the AL East right now, and let's look at handedness of the best pitchers that will be there for a while. Start in Baltimore, Grayson Rodriguez. What is he? <laughs> He's a righty. Okay, let's look at Toronto here. Uh, Alec Manoa, Jose Barrios, Kevin Gosman. They're all... Hyunjin Ryu. Okay. Okay. So uh, Barrios, Gosman, and Manoa answer my question. They're all right-handed. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's look at Tampa here. Boz, Glasnow. McClanahan's a lefty, but Boz and Glasnow are righties. Um, and then let's Yarbrough. look at the Yankees. Garrett Cole. Uh, yeah, the Yankees. Who, who's the lefty for the Yankees? Uh, nobody, and they want Montas. Yeah. Yeah. They're I, all righties. No, there's a lot of righties out there. There's a lot of righties out there. I, again, it's it's the breaking balls. I, I'm with you. He's got to figure out the freaking breaking balls. I, I'm trying to – I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it, and I'm going to have it ready for the next podcast. Perfect. I'm going to have his stats against breaking balls on the road. I can get <laughs> stats against breaking balls. I can get home road splits. Let's go niche. I, I need a little bit more time. I can't do it while I, – I do a lot of things while we're podcasting. But, yeah. like, I, I dig up a lot of things real quickly. But I cannot dig up curveballs on the road right now but I, I will have those later keep that in mind for the next time we're together no you're trying to pick the right wire to cut you're deactivating a bomb right now literally um, literally so it, you he, think so to, but to, to circle back to, to, yeah. to, the, to the core point here you think that it was a bad deal for the red sox or not not good deal for the red you sox? know what i'm shocked that heim bloom did this i know i, I know think that's that's my big takeaway here they, did and he like, cave to pressure or did he actually like this move I don't That's know the because the other team that really wanted him was San Francisco. And I know Danny Vietti said this. I was thinking the same exact thing. I saw Danny tweet about it. And he said that the three teams that were very tightly connected to Trevor story were Boston, Heim Bloom, San Francisco, Farhan Zaidi, Houston, James Click. Those three are not really willing to give out big deals to guys that might not work out. So th there has to be something that Heim Bloom sees as if not bust proof, very close to it with Trevor Story. And I'm just really struggling to find out what it is. 
2021, I also want to throw this to you because I didn't notice this with my naked eye, but just looking at the, the, the analytics and the overall percentages of batted ball and not swinging and missing, he is totally transformed as a hitter. Um, and I don't know if it's in a good way or a bad way. So he's coming off of his lowest line drive rate, his highest ground ball rate, but his highest contact rate of his career. So more bat to ball, less line drives, and more ground balls. Does that make any sense to you? So less bat to ball. Or more, more bat, to, bat ball. to ball. More bat to ball, but more bad contact on the ground. Yeah. I mean, I, again, I think I think he was trying to – I think he felt the pressure of the contract year. Like, I, I really do. But I, he was trying to hit 300, you think? Yeah. Because I, I think that was one – one of the big drawbacks, right, was like, oh, will he ever be able to hit for average? Will he be able to hit outside of course? And what's the way to prove that you can hit outside of course hit for average? By hitting outside of course and by hitting for average? Yeah, yeah but you got you got to try to hit for average because the, the lift that you try to do, and he was a, he's always been a big lift guy, it's not going to play the same way outside of course. I, I think that's easily a scenario of what, what we're looking at here. I mean, not only that, I mean, when he was at his best, dude, he was pulling the ball more. He, he was going pull side. He was trying to do damage. He was a hunter. You know, that's that's what he has to be. He has to be a hunter that swings and misses a little bit. Like, that. that's what he is. And I think he got caught in between. I'm trying to figure out what his identity is. He needs to attack, and he needs to hunt pitches, leverage his counts, and go for it. Like, he's not a guy that's, like, spray it all over the field, uh, back to ball, uh, you know, beat out ground balls. I know he's fast, but I think it was kind of like, oh, let me show my five-tool potential. Yeah, Trevor Story was one of the best shortstops in baseball, not showing his five tool potential and just being a masher who's athletic. Exactly. Um, last thing on Story for me, he's about six times better a defender than Xander Bogarts has ever been, and he's going to still play point. second. And they're making the wrong decision by having Xander Bogarts play short and Trevor Story play second. It's it's objectively the wrong decision. Like there's there's not and people might say, oh, Trevor or uh, Xander Bogart's a good defender. He is a good defender when the ball is hit to him. His range is really bad. It's it's a little bit Derek Jeter-esque, ironically, which is they look smooth. If you watch the footwork, man, it's it's pretty simple. Like you don't even need to be you don't need to be a, an experienced scout or a, a prospect analyst of years to watch. You watch Xander Bogart's move, and then you watch. Carlos Correa move at shortstop and you don't need, you don't need anyone to break it down for you. But when you're just watching guys in a vacuum, it's harder to, you know, you don't know what you're comparing to. And it's like, Oh, Xander Bogarts is smooth. And he is, he has great hands. Totally. But he can't get to anything. He can't get to anything. It's like the Jeter jump throw. Like Correa's, I think might even come around that. (laughs) Like, Like, I think he's coming around and throwing it on the run. Uh, like that, that's just the difference. And I, I didn't realize it until I went back. I really, I can't believe I did this because I'm not a big, like Jeter stings. Like, you're, you're not that, a Jeter denier, I'm but not a negative 162 DR. Like the game was different then he, he could have catered to that more. I think yeah. if people talked about it then, like, I think some of it was just the way baseball was, but, but that being said, I watched some video. <laughs> Dude, he's, he was moving. So, he had a noodle. Oh, looked, he had lead feet. At shortstop. Oh my gosh. I was floored. I was like, okay, let me try and treat him like a prospect. If I was doing a prospect right up on him, I'd take not sticking it short. I swear I would have said not sticking it short. Jeez. So I was like, wow. But yeah, I mean, again, a little bit of a digression there, but like it, it's a no brainer. Trevor story is leaps and bounds better. And they're not going to move Xander because they want to keep him happy and they don't want him to opt out. 
He might. That's the thing. I think with this story deal, you know that you're not going to get Bogarts for the rest of his career. And I think it's an insurance policy. It's an insurance policy. And I think you're waving the white flag here. Um, And it sucks because I think Xander Bogarts is a really, really good player. But for the sake of winning as many baseball games as possible in 2022, you should not try and cater to Xander Bogarts' feelings by having him play shortstop and having the objectively better defensive shortstop play second base in Trevor's story. Especially when you have Mr. Jose or Mr. I keep doing that. I'm the only person on the planet. Mr. Rafael Devers over there at third base. Who, who are you going to say? Jose Devers. Jose Devers. Who's his Jose cousin, Devers? His cousin that plays for the Marlins. Is still? He's unfortunately. He's yeah. a real player? No, he's a real player. He came over in the Stanton deal. Is he on the big league team? Um, he was last year, which says a lot. Um, oh my God. I've never heard of this guy. Joe, Joe Panic took over the ABs after. Um, the uh, he's young, though. He's super young. He's okay. very okay. skinny. Uh, he, he's a great defender, but <laughs> but my point, unlike his cousin, because uh, okay. that's get my back point. To your point now, <laughs> that, that's what I'm getting to. His cousin does, did not get the defensive ability, and Rafael Devers is not good at the hot corner. And now you you have I talk about the best left in, left side of the infield in baseball. That is the worst. It's not close. I'd put my life on it. That is the singular worst defensive left side of the infield in baseball. And overall, we'll end up just being the worst defense in baseball infield-wise, even with Story at second base. And that's what they're subjecting themselves to. It, you can't get any above-average defense in left because at the end of the day, it's just a monster there that really impedes any ability to stand out as a defender. Center field is important, and we know they'll be covered in center field and right with JBJ and Kike Hernandez. But there's a reason why BABIPs are so high for the Red Sox and why Eduardo Rodriguez, a ground ball pitcher, really struggled to – have the good luck, quote unquote. It's not luck. Heim created that. And I think Heim's brilliant, but he created that bad luck with that left side of the infield. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we'll move off of Trevor's story for the meantime. I do want to end on Solaire. Um, you know, we'll take five to 10 minutes to talk about the Solaire deal. But before that, just your quick thoughts. I'll, I'll offer mine, you offer yours, and then we move off. Kenley Jansen to Atlanta is a great pickup for them. I mean, they just got a back end guy probably their closer to pair with Matzik, Minter, Jackson, and Will Smith. That is borderline best bullpen in baseball. I think it is. I think it is. I mean, you look at, I'm always going to throw the Dodgers and the Giants in there because they just spawn guys that are throwing a hundred and nasty. Yeah. Um, same with the Rays. Like they, they got to do like, like Peter Fairbanks that actually throws in a way that when I was working at a training facility, I had, there was a pitching coach there and I was like, yeah, let me know any video you want for reference points for your high school pitchers, whatever. He's like, I need you to go dig up some Peter Fairbanks, not because I want to use it to teach, but because I don't understand how he throws like that. (laughs) And like, he's like, he was trying to explain to me like, this is, you can't physically do this. There's something wrong with him. Like he's, he's like got something unique. (laughs) So they just find dudes like that. But when you look at this Braves bullpen, it's proven dudes. Like I would say Matzik is proven. At this now, point, what he did. Now he's yeah, proven. Now. Yeah. Now, that's what I'm saying. Will Smith, shaky, proven. but a proven guy at the at the very least that he can save games, he can nail it down. I would say Luke Jackson has proven that he's a good seventh inning arm at this point. Yeah, like, he's got. He was being asked to do more, more before, but he's yeah. proven that he's a good seventh inning arm. Colin McHugh is an established. I totally arm. forgot about McHugh. Yep. And then Kenley Jansen is a borderline Hall of Famer. So you know, like I, I think that it's it's. Not only talented, it's experienced, 
And even if they struggle for whatever reason, I will have no concerns about this bullpen figuring it out as, as the season goes on. And I mean, now they've got legitimately, I'd be comfortable with any of Kenley Jansen, Will Smith, Colin McHugh, Tyler Matzik, and Luke Jackson closing a game for me. If it came to it, I'd be fine with any of those guys coming in and closing a game for me. And that is absurd to think about. Absolutely fucking absurd. Uh, Let's wrap with the Marlins signing Jorge Soler. Three years, $36 million opt-outs after each year. It's the Jordan deal, but many, or the, uh, the LeBron deal, but many. It's the Correa deal, but many. Um, I mean, I'm just going to open the floor to you because I think there have to be some ensuing moves now. You'd think, but from what I'm hearing, uh, some folks may not be too surprised if they're done. From what I'm hearing, I mean, they're still surveying the market, but what I've received, the message that I have received from people that I would be very confident in and what they tell me, that they would not be surprised if this is what the Marlins roll out to opening day, which would mean that obviously El Garcia is playing center field and uh, Soler is playing right and Jesus Sanchez is playing left. That could be a very solid offensive outfield. My problem is... We're, we're breaking down story and talking about pitches moving and breaking balls and altitude. You want a bigger, an even more difficult science experiment? What the hell happened from Kansas City to Atlanta for Jorge Soler? Because this wasn't some kind of like small fluky change. This was the most wild of wild changes. He went from striking out like almost 40% of the time to striking out straight up like 18% of the time. With 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 the Braves, like it was like that. How does that happen? I don't know. I've got no. So 2019, didn't he hit 48 homers in 2019? Yes, I believe. he was the home run king in the American League in 2019. 48 home runs. Yeah, 265, and, 354, 569. Slash one. And then he's an absolute liability. And then he goes to Atlanta and he's the World Series MVP. Yes. Okay. And, and like, and not just like, I want, I want to make it clear too here. Cause I, I look, this was not one of the guys that I would have wanted if, if, you know, if I'm, if I'm rooting for the Marlins here and I still do as much as I can, as much <laughs> as they allow me to, uh, you know, it's not my prime target, but this is a team that was really stricken for offense. And, and now they had a guy that dude in the second half, he hit 20 home runs in 67 games, Jack. That's absurd. That's on pace for almost 60 home runs. That's a 50 bomb. So like, and, and like, so I'm and, and sorry, but before I forget this, and then I want you to go, cause I'm really excited to see what you have to say about this. That's on par with what he did in 2019. Yeah. Now go ahead. No, I mean, I'm just thinking which version of Jorge Soler are you going to get? And the answer might be both, which is crazy. And it's a loaded answer and you can go any which way with that, but you might get both. And if you get the good Solaire, then I think you bail yourself out of the bad Solaire because he's going to opt out of $12 million over the last two years. Well, that, that's the structure is funny. That's where it gets really interesting too. Um, I hate the structure of it for the Marlins. I think it gives them nothing but, but loss potential, I guess, because if he balls the hell out, it goes to 12 million the second year and then it goes to 9 million the third year. So if he balls the hell out in the first year, you know he's most likely opt out. out. Yeah, he's probably gonna opt out. Um, if he sucks, 
Now you're on the hook for a guy that's legitimately useless because if Jorge Soler isn't hitting bombs, he is useless. He's striking out 45% of the time. And he's not playing defense. He's doing nothing. He's bringing you nothing else. And that's my problem. But what I will say is this. I think the Marlins had to give those opt-outs because they had to convince him to come play in Miami. And not just because oh, Miami stinks, but because the Braves wanted him back. Yeah. And that says something to me. Alex Anthopoulos is a smart guy. And he, for whatever reason, Alex Anthopoulos was sold on what Jorge Soler did. I don't think it – clearly it's not just Alex Anthopoulos saying – Oh, let's get the World Series band back together yeah, because, because he told they, Freddie they Freeman to take a hike. Yeah. Yes. So that's not him saying, oh, like, let's get the band back together because they did bring back Eddie Rosario. Normally, I'd be like, oh, they're just trying to bring the group back together. No, they're not. No, they're not. Like, no, they, they went and got Matt Olson. They, yeah, they got rid of the guy. So that tells me that they believe to a degree that Solaire, you know, could put up numbers. But, but I think the, the liability for $36 million or whatever it would have been for the Braves is not the same as the liability of $36 million for the Marlins. And, you know, I'm very curious to see if the, if the offense that we saw with the Braves really translates. I'll wrap up with this on, on with my thoughts on it. 45 strikeouts and 242 plate appearances with Atlanta. With Kansas City, 360 plate appearances, 97 strikeouts. Mike, I, I mean, mean that you can't get more different. No. He was only nine walks off of his total with – Kansas City as well, and 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 significantly less at bats. It's it's pretty crazy. So and, and I guess my big question with him is is that a him thing or is that a Braves thing? And can he carry that over to Miami? And here's the problem: is if he doesn't, the Marlins are on the hook for more money in the in the second year, and and then he'd probably opt out. So I look at it like a two year deal. I think Solero will be good. And I think he'll still opt in anyways afterwards, unless he is 48 home run good. And then, you know, whatever the Marlins got what they got. And here I butchered the structure 12 million in the first year, 15 in the second year, nine in the third year. So the Marlins wanted to incentivize Solaire a bit more to opt in into 2023. If he hits 33, 34 jacks and hits 250, probably opting in, I think, but we could still see him potentially opt out. I, I will say that there's a lot of escalators here. $500,000 for 350 and 400 plate appearances, 1 million for 450, 500 and 550 plate appearances, like through each of that. So there's a lot of escalators here too. So I think there's a lot of reason for him to want to opt in. So they tried to hedge that a bit with incentives to opt in. So he can make up to 17, 18 million in 2023. But I'll tell you what, what this also tells me that is if Solaire stinks, they're putting him on the bench. Like they're not going to want him to hit those escalators. Oh, no, the no, no. are that cheap. Moments are that cheap. They will throw him on the bench. Yeah. Um, and and, and force I, him I to think opt that's out. fair. And I think that um, if, if I was to take something, the casino, I would bet on him being really good. One of the first two years and really bad. Another one of the first two years, yeah. which year it's going to happen. I have no idea, uh, but we'll see. And hopefully for the Marlins case, it's this year. So he opts out. I really like Jorge Soler, but I think that he is um, high peaks and low valleys. And and the Marlins need consistency. They, they really do. I, let's like to wrap up. Like what is this? Is this out? Are you okay with Avi Garcia? No, 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 no. So here's what I just threw you last night. So Soler in right, Avi Garcia in center, Jesus Sanchez in left, right? Your bench outfield options are Brian De La Cruz, and then Roman Quinn and Delino DeShields, who you just signed to minor league deals. 
which makes me even more nervous that they're not going to do anything about center field. Uh huh. Um, I threw you two names in Houston because Jake Myers is obviously the leader in the clubhouse to be the center fielder. If you could go get Chaz McCormick or Jose Siri for center field, I think that's a massive, massive upgrade and slap Soler in the DH spot. I would do it. So I think they could throw in a couple upper minor depth arms like Nick Neidert, Braxton Garrett. They might not be the most exciting guys in the world, but I think the Astros, given how many bats they have their situation, they would happily swap a fourth outfielder for a sixth starting pitcher type thing. Well, yeah. I think they'd have to give up a little bit more. We'll talk about like a lower level prospect, whatever, but I would love Chaz McCormick in center field because I think the addition of Jorge Soler makes it more palatable to go with a glove first outfielder, totally. right? Like you can, you can justify it more because you went and got way more offensive upside. Three other names. I really like Manny Margot. That could be a name. That's not bad in terms of what he gives you defensively. I would prefer miles straw or Chaz McCormick. And I'll, I want to get your thoughts on this. Cleveland guardians. They get, let's say they get Jesus Aguilar because the Marlins need to clear up some of that log jam. Garrett Cooper could play first. Yeah, Jesus Aguilar and a prospect for Miles Straw. That makes the the Guardians better because you and I both agree Stephen Kwan should be starting in center field from day one. Correct, correct. And Straw Straw makes the Marlins better too. And Aguilar is a guy at first you don't believe in Bobby Bradley, right? Like we don't believe in Bobby Bradley. No, Aguilar makes them better and it gives them a vet. My question is, um, would you rather depart with Aguilar or with Joey Wendell right now? Joey Wendell, I think, is going to be too important. I'd rather part with Aguilar at this point. Now with Soler here and Cooper can play first, and Lewin Diaz waiting in the wings as well, I think I'd rather I'd rather keep Joey Wendell. I mean, I, I watched the Marlins infield. You have here's the problem with the Marlins: Jazz Chisholm's injury prone, Miguel Rojas is injury prone, Brian Anderson's injury prone. Your three most injury prone players are your infielders. Can't risk the one guy that can play all three of those spots. Yeah, you're right. Um, I, yeah, Aguilar and a prospect get it done for Miles Straw. I, I do think so because we've talked about the Guardians. Like, they need a first baseman bat. And a vet that's a good clubhouse guy and, and a high floor dude, too. Talk about a guy that just puts the bat on the ball, drives and runs. Almost had 100 ribbies on a miserable Marlins team last year. I mean, yeah. in 93 ribbies in 131 games for a Miz Marlins team. <laughs> a Miz. I love it. Um, yeah, man, I... I like those names. And I think if they went and got a center fielder, I'd be a lot more excited than, than having Avi Garcia as the opening day center fielder. I watched him hit one 460 at spring training two days ago, though. Avi Garcia? Yeah, he, he put it on the balcony area. I only saw Stanton hit it. Balcony beyond the outfield. He, that guy's got juice. I don't know why he has never hit more home runs than he, he has. He is, dude. Like, I mean, in Detroit, he was like the next coming of Mickey. He looked like me. He looked like a clone of even a stance and everything. Yeah, dude. I Wow. Hey, Avi Garcia, like... He's not going to perform with the contract, I don't think. I mean, you said no you hated way. the deal. I was way too much money. But you know what? Like, Avi Garcia could provide some fun. He could provide some smiles at the ballpark. I, I, I've tried to emphasize it. I, and this is the last thing I'll say on it. Like, t- 23% of the Marlins starts were made by Braxton Garrett, Cody Petit, uh, Ross Detweiler, and, like, a couple other names like that, John Curtis. Uh, yeah. And they had 20% of their plate appearances by Joe Panic, Isan Diaz, uh, Magnera Sierra, John Birdie. Like now those are replaced by some established dudes like Soler, Garcia, Wendell. This team's way more watchable. And I know fan and, and Jacob Stallings as well, too. By yeah. the way. This is a much more watchable team. And, and, and I think, you know, it's then at least is loaded. But even the Nats, like the Nats aren't rolling over. 
there's no terrible team, I don't think, anymore. I thought the Nationals would be bad. They'll be kind of bad. Now they got my guy, Adrianza. They're going to be great. Nelson Cruz. Nelson Cruz. How about that? Uh, you can listen later today to the Cincinnati Reds' top prospects. They've been wheeling and dealing. The farm system got better. Arm and I are going to break that down on the call-up. Peter and I tomorrow are starting our top 10 positional rankings uh, on the Just Baseball Show. We got top 10 catchers coming out tomorrow. So keep it locked here. We will talk to you tomorrow, folks.